So we are in the second Sunday of the Advent season. Remember last Sunday we talked a little bit about hope. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the second point in Advent and that being love. See, Advent season is generally about two things. The first one is, is waiting expectantly. And the second thing is about urgent preparation. And I want to flesh those out just a little bit this morning. See, the first thing, waiting expectantly, I think we can all get our minds around that. Waiting expectantly. Even the secular world out there that's focused on Christmas for all the wrong reasons understands this concept of waiting on Christmas to arrive. They may not even want to call it Christmas. They might want to call it something else. Winter solstice or the holiday season. But they still have this sense of expectation in this season as they anticipate gift giving and receiving, maybe an increase in retail sales, maybe time off from work, family gatherings, etc. There's still this sense of expectation in the season. Now, for believers, the season has this special expectancy, doesn't it? We celebrate the coming of the Christ child and all of the hope and the love and the joy and the peace, right, that comes with him. We're expecting that. I, I think the whole of Christendom, everyone who calls themselves a Christ follower understands the waiting expectantly part of this Advent season. But that second thing, this urgent preparation, is somewhat less understood, certainly by the circular world, but also I think the majority of Christians as well don't quite wrap their minds around the concept of urgent preparation in this Christmas season. What is it we're preparing for so urgently? Now, I'm not talking about this hurried, hectic type of preparation as we make gift lists and we brave the crowds at the mall. Lord, help us. Or we order gifts online and we hope that they arrive in time or we stock up our pantries with just a little bit extra food in case relatives decide to drop by so that we have something to feed them. I'm not talking about this urgent preparation in that sense. I'm talking about the urgent preparation that Peter talks about in our epistle today, 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you. In them, I am trying to arouse your sincere intention by reminding you that you should remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken through your apostles. First of all, you must understand this, that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and indulging their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, nothing's changed. You've been saying the Savior's coming back for a long time now. 
They, were deliberately, they deliberately ignore this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water through which the world of that time was deluged with water and perished. He's talking about, remember, there was a creation that was totally wiped out by a great flood and nobody knew it was coming except for one man who paid attention to what God was telling him. And everybody else ignored it, and then suddenly there it was. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved not for water, but for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. He's not delaying because he's just lollygagging around. He's delaying because he wants to give everyone a chance to know him and be saved. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. See, I realize that Peter's message is not the message most of us are in tune with as we count down towards the appearance of jolly old Saint Nick. Talking about the world going up in smoke and fire is not the Christmas message that most of us really want to hear but I'm not going to apologize for bringing this message to you this morning because this is the point of the first advent. The coming of Christ into the world is to prepare the world for the second advent, the second coming of Christ as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and ruler and judge over all of humankind. We can't forget that. In this Christmas season, if we get wrapped up in what the world tells us Christmas is and we forget what it's truly about, well, then we're just like those in the days of Noah, oblivious to the purpose of his coming in the first place. See, the love of God for his people, for us, is the reason he sent his son the first time so that all of us might be saved. 
But the righteous justice and holiness of God. Let me say that again. The righteous justice and holiness of God is the reason he will send his son the second time. And we have to be fully aware of that and understand that now is the time to prepare. Now is the time for urgency in our preparation so that we are ready. In other words, we have to hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. Be ready now for the day of the Lord's second coming, his second advent. And then you don't have to worry because you're prepared. And while you're preparing, prepare a family member, prepare a friend, get somebody else in tune with what God is doing in the world so that they too can be ready. Now, I said Advent was about those two things, waiting expectantly and urgently preparing. Now, there's a third thing that I think all of us overlook. And this truly is the thing that gives us the power and the energy to do the first two. See, the third thing that Advent is about, in addition to waiting expectantly and urgent preparation. Advent, for those who are in Christ, is also about resting. Resting. Really, pastor, resting? See, I have too much on my plate. There's no time to rest. I have presents to wrap and gifts to buy and holiday meals to plan and shop for and, and then prepare. There, there's parties and socials and vacations and Christmas angels and live nativity and trips and vacation and time off. And who's got time to rest in the middle of all that. And if you're ministry minded, which I know all of you are ministers of the faith, if you're engaged in one of those ministry opportunities in our community, then you might be thinking, now's the time to get busy spreading the true meaning of Christmas. Now's the time for spreading the gospel. Now's the time for seeking faith. And you might be wondering why in the midst of all this busyness and all this ministry work, why are our efforts to seek and share the faith seemingly less effective than we hope they might be? Why in the midst of the preparation for the second coming of Christ, are all these seats empty this morning? See, I just finished reading a book by Stephen Siemens. The name of the book is Ministry in the Image of God. And Siemens in his book recounts a story of a man by the name of Hudson Taylor. Now, Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China in the late 19th century. And that, at that time, the church was actively engaged in trying to bring the gospel to the people of China. And they had 
upwards of 600 missionaries that had gone to China from various uh, places in the world. They had gone to China to try to spread the gospel message to people in China who really had no concept of who Jesus was or is. And so Siemens wrote a letter uh, to a missionary friend of his because he was experiencing this dark night of the soul is how it's described. Now, there are a number of reasons for that, not the least of which is that his eight-year-old daughter had recently been killed. And then at this time in China, there was a lot of political unrest as all the different warlords were vying for power in this vast country and the missionaries were often in dangerous situations and it weighed heavily on him because he was responsible for the lives of so many and so he felt ineffective. He lamented in his letter to his colleague about his ineffectiveness and his lack of spiritual power in ministry. He just, as much as he was seeking the faith, he wasn't producing the fruit. And so in his letter, he, he prays that the Lord would keep him from sin that the Lord would sanctify him, make him more like Jesus, and that the Lord would use him more largely in his service. You know, as I reflect on my duties and responsibilities as pastor and on your responsibility as ministers of the faith in this community, I have to say that I can relate somewhat to Hudson Taylor. We have an enormous task in front of us, don't we? I mean, Splendora really is a small town, but when you think of the need for spiritual growth here, it's enormous. It might as well be downtown Houston. There are so many people who just don't have a relationship with the living God. And so the enormity of the task ahead of us weighs on my shoulders much, I'm sure, as it weighs on yours, just like it did Hudson Taylor as he was looking at this vast country of China and all the people in need and how just ineffective his ministry seemed to be. I know you share that burden. I know you share that burden with me this morning. And when I think of the clinic ministry over in Tomball, there are people who are ill, some terminally. And so they have not only the end of life to deal with, but the preparation for the end of life. There are those who are struggling in their marriages. There are are those in this community who are grieving. There are those wondering where they fit in, not only in the community, but if they do go to church, where they fit in in the life of the church. 
And there are many people who are so weighed down and overwhelmed by their own struggles that finding the power and the energy to minister to other people, to engage in discipleship and all of that, well, it's just difficult. How do I carve out time for that if I have so much on my own plate? So most days, if I'm left to my own devices, I struggle to know how I can do anything to move people along their faith walk. And like Hudson Taylor, I I can feel ineffective and overwhelmed. And I know I'm not alone in that feeling. I've heard some of you vocalize that same sentiment. So Hudson Taylor got a response from this friend, this colleague that he wrote. And Hudson describes it as an answer to prayer in this letter that he got. See, he wrote, he got a a letter in return from John McCarthy, who was the friend that he had written in the first place. And John McCarthy, in his letter, explained that he had a recent discovery concerning this life of holiness and ministry that they were both engaged in. McCarthy explained that the problem with many who earnestly pursue holiness and ministry is that they have a defective faith. Defective faith. I had to think about that for a minute. Is my faith in seeking God, is that defective? Now, I had trouble with the language. You've got to understand this is 19th century language between two men of that time period, defective. Defective in that it isn't complete to be just a seeker of the faith. See, it's defective because we have a faith that seeks, but not a faith that rests. In a faith that also rests, there's this joyful confidence in simply abiding in Christ. Think about that for a minute. This, is, this was eye-opening for me, and I'm sure it was eye-opening for Hudson Taylor. I've always considered myself a seeker after faith. But I see now that My seeking is not complete unless I also focus on being an abider in the faith, an abider in Jesus, allowing myself to rest in Jesus. See, McCarthy explained to his letter, our faith is increased only by thinking of all that Jesus is and all he is for us, thinking about his life, his death, his work, how he is revealed to us in the word, how he is to be the subject of our continual and constant thoughts. It's not a striving to seek after and have faith, but it's looking to the faithful one has all we need. It's resting in Jesus entirely. 
now for this time and also for our eternity. See, the, the advantage to somebody who abides instead of just seeks is that the burden is transferred off of the weaker shoulders, our own shoulders, onto the more capable, stronger shoulders of Christ, the one in whom we abide. And so Christ is sufficient. Christ is enough. Abiding in him as we do this ministry that we do transfers the weight of the ministry to the one to whom the ministry truly belongs. It's not our ministry. It's his. It's his ministry. And he will empower us to do it as long as we rest in him. And it's made possible by this indwelling relationship of the Holy Spirit. It makes this transfer of this weighty ministry off of us onto him possible. The abiding in Christ of the believer transports the believer into the midst of the Trinity where we live and we move and we have our being. The Bible says. And so if I think about it that way. As resting rather than constantly seeking. Then ministry in the local church. In this community. It takes on a whole new perspective. Because. I, of my own power and my own merit, I don't have the strength. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the ability. Heck, Angela and I were just talking. I don't even know why I have the license to practice what I practice. Weren't we? She knows. There are mornings when we wake up and wonder why I'm a pastor. <laughs> I don't have any of those qualities in and of myself. And neither do you, but that's okay. Because the amazing truth of abiding in Christ is that we, that I, that you do not have to possess any of those qualities on our own because Christ in whom we abide has all of those qualities in great overwhelming abundance. He equips me, he equips you at every instance where that power and energy is needed. He equips us for that calling, for that moment, for that person that we're trying to explain the gospel message to he gives that to us when we need it how we need it and more importantly how they need it it comes from him through us praise God for being an instrument that he can use to spread the gospel message to those people who desperately Needed, And so this Advent, we can be expectantly waiting for this unspeakable joy of who and what is coming. We can and we should be urgently preparing for the return of the king who will come again in magnificent 
glory. But let's not forget in the midst of all that. Let's not forget to rest in him this Advent season. To abide in him because all of the kingdom work we do is only possible when we give it up to him and we join with him in what he's already doing in the world. Because it's not our kingdom come. It's not our will be done. No, it's not our ministry at all. It's his ministry, his kingdom come, his will be done as it on earth as it is in heaven. And why? Well, it's on the banner. Because he truly loves us. And all of those people that don't know him, he loves them just as much. And he has chosen the church, you and me, to take his message to them so that they should not perish in the way that Peter describes to us in the epistle this morning. Oh, I know that's not the Christmas message that we long to hear. It's not angels singing. It's fire and destruction. But he sent his son, his one and only begotten son, because he so loved the world And he didn't want anyone to perish in that way. And so this morning we lit the Advent candle of love as a symbol for all that he has planned for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.